Welcome to another episode of Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you be the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and on this week's show, Steve and I are thrilled to be speaking with Mary Beth Franklin. Mary Beth is one of the country's leading experts on Social Security and Medicare. She's an award-winning journalist and writes a weekly column on retirement issues for Investment News. She's also the author of a great ebook called Maximizing Your Social Security Retirement Benefits. We really wanted to understand the connection between deep expertise in a specific topic and referrals And Mary Beth is the perfect person to talk to about that. She talks about the impact of being a true expert, both on client outcomes and also on growth. And she talked about how you can leverage expertise to set yourself apart. And with that, let's get straight to our conversation with Mary Beth. Well, Mary Beth Franklin, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. So nice to have you. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Mary Beth, you're an expert in Social Security and Medicare, and for for financial advisors who have not specialized in it, what what are some of the most significant things you think they're missing in terms of counseling clients who are on their way to retirement? I think they're missing a great opportunity to be considered a trustworthy advisor. I go all over the country giving um, educational seminars on Social Security and Medicare. Usually the host groups are either independent financial advisors who are sponsoring client events or events for prospective clients or major financial services companies. Clearly, they want to get prospective clients into the room to learn about things like Social Security. And then later in follow-up meetings, they might be able to discuss broader retirement income planning. What I found is people are so thankful to get straightforward information about these Social Security benefits that they have worked so hard for and paid so much for, and frankly, the claiming rules are very confusing, that they walk away from these seminars saying, wow, I really learned something and nobody tried to sell me anything. Gee, maybe I'll come back and talk to this advisor when I'm ready to talk about a broader retirement income plan. I think that is the true value of educational seminars on important topics like Social Security and Medicare. Yeah, and and that's that's really it's really interesting because it's such a great example of the how you can project the value differently. Now, we want to spend most of our conversation talking a little bit about the business development aspects of having a specialty like this. But but before we do, I just want to sort of gauge the value of it from the client's perspective. You know, how big a difference uh, in outcomes can an advisor who has this kind of expertise specifically in Social Security and Medicaid create versus one who's not so much an expert? Well, although some of the creative claiming strategies are being phased out, they are still available to millions of Americans, depending on their birth date. And it generally affects people who are married or who are divorced after being married at least 10 years. When a married couple coordinates their claiming strategies, they can actually increase their lifetime Social Security benefits 
by $100,000 or more. Now, that means the timing of one spouse's benefit versus the other, and the fact that when one spouse dies, the bigger benefit continues as a survivor benefit. So when you look at that entire continuum of two lives and a survivor benefit, easily can increase benefits by over $100,000. An advisor is hard-pressed to try to do that with a portfolio. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and so knowing the ins and outs, so that's a pretty, that's a pretty significant additional benefit from, from knowing the rules and knowing how to navigate them. And the next steps, this is just the beginning, because uh, before Congress changed these rules, it was really, uh, you know, hey, let me get you more money. Now that's going to be more limited. But the next things to think about are the biggest expense most retirees face in Um, will be medical expenses. And very few retirees, and unfortunately, very few financial advisors, realize that how much their clients pay for Medicare premiums depends on their income in retirement and the sources of those income. So for a savvy advisor to be able to guide their clients into having some sort of tax-free money, whether it's Roth IRA distributions or health savings account distributions or cash value life insurance distributions. If they have a small pot of tax-free money and they can look ahead to what the Medicare premium surcharges, what income that will be based on, they could literally say, if you take $3,000 this year out of your tax-free Roth IRA, rather than your traditional IRA, you're going to save $100 a month on Medicare premiums next year. That's significant. Yeah. But it's complicated. And there's great software out there that can help advisors look at not just the right time to claim Social Security, the rules of enrolling in Medicare, but the sources of your retirement income and how and where you tap that money will determine not only your income taxes in retirement, but how much you pay taxes on Social Security benefits and how much you pay for Medicare premiums. So it, it, it sounds like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, from an advisor's perspective, there's a couple of big issues, if I can oversimplify. You know, one is having this expertise, having the technical expertise. And, and the question, of course, is uh, where do I get that? How do I become that expert? But then almost separately, how do I leverage that to attract clients to the business? How do I communicate that expertise? So first of all, would you say those are two of the key categories that we'd need to examine? Absolutely. I think the overarching umbrella is, are you an advisor that's specializing in accumulation Or are you an advisor that's going to specialize in distributions? And if you're on the distribution side, this is really the new game in town for a generation of retiring baby boomers. And the rules are different. And for people who are willing to invest the time, they can really serve their clients better in this um, transparent fiduciary rule environment. Because frankly, there is this downward pressure on fees and upward pressure on what am I getting for my dollar? What is your value proposition? And for advisors willing to focus on the distribution end and become specialists in Social Security, Medicare, and the taxation of retirement income, they have an enormous value proposition. 
How do you, do you find that something easy to communicate to clients? Because I, I suppose at one level, if, if I, as, as a prospective client or an existing client, if I don't understand the ins and outs of that, how can an advisor help me understand that he or she is an actual expert versus just saying, saying they're an expert? I think with some of the new software that is out right now, I'm actually in the process of um, writing an article today about uh, the tax implications of the new tax bill and retirees because the fact that we have um, doubled the standard deduction plus four people who are 65 or older, there's an added benefit. There's an enormous amount of money that they could take out tax-free depending on the source of the money. If it was just Social Security income at a certain dollar level, it might be tax-free. But if suddenly you've put in capital gains there or other sources of income, it changes the equation. And it's not intuitive. There is software now that creates what they call a tax map that an advisor can show their client, look, at this amount of dollar, this is your tax bracket. But if you take out an extra $1,000 from your traditional IRA, whoops, that is now going to boost your tax bill by $1.85 per dollar you take out. Mm -hmm. It's very confusing, but some of this visualization I think is extremely important. And even if the client doesn't completely understand it, Mm -hmm. it's a way to say, I do. Let me help you. Well, it makes it real, you know, rather than having a list of 12 things that I'm an expert in. uh, Exactly. Demonstrate that. Sorry, Steve. No, that's fine. Um, How can they, uh, how can an advisor communicate that conversationally before they have to, to get the opportunity to see that client in the office and show them the, the graphic proof of the expertise. Well, again, I think doing a seminar on income taxes of retirement income may be a hard sell. I was just down in a very popular retirement destination in central Florida called the Villages, where um, there is a financial services firm that is in the business of doing educational seminars. I just did four back-to-back seminars on Social Security and Medicare. That's what I was talking about with, um, you know, some references to the tax implication of some of these decisions. Now, he was inviting clients back, come back next week, and we'll discuss some of the income tax implications of this. So you get some prospective clients who want to take that deeper dive Others, it may be too much, but that's why I think something like Social Security, where everyone has a vested interest, they've paid for this, they're very interested in knowing um, how to get the most of their benefits with no obligation to sign up with a financial advisor. But it may be enough to intrigue them to think, gee, what else can this person teach me? Right. Interesting. Um, beyond seminars, what other kinds of communication can an advisor have that would help project some of some of this expertise? Well, I'm in an unusual situation in that I'm a certified financial planner that does not take private clients. My audience uh, is other financial advisors, and I communicate with them through my weekly columns and blogs through investment news and my uh, in-person presentations. So 
my communication method to my audience of advisors tends to be fact-based white papers, research. My um, role is that I'm not managing portfolios. I'm not selling insurance. I have time to do the research and interview the academics. My goal is to synthesize this information and get it out to financial advisors that might help them in their practice. Now, what do they do with that? They may have one-on-one conversations with their clients. They may hold seminars. They may do email blast newsletters. Um, You know, I think of the white papers more at the professional level than the Mm. consumer level. But there are certainly plenty of ways for advisors. And, you know, here's a classic example, podcasts. I am seeing financial advisors right and left abandoning the old talk radio format on Sunday morning and going to podcasts. Interesting. So is... You know, this is an area, and we talk a lot on this podcast about having an area of expertise or, or a niche, uh, which this this clearly is. Is this an, a niche that you would say is right for everyone? Is it something that is uh, better suited to particular advisors or, you know, with certain client bases? Well, it's certainly not for everyone. And again, I do see the financial services profession bifurcating. I see those who focus on accumulation and going after the younger market where they may be leveraging robo-advisors as far as the algorithms to create portfolios. And it can be low cost and fast and communicate by text or you know, email or phone calls, whatever. But I think on the distribution end, which is very complicated, you also have a trust factor and people have a mental switch, I think, when they move from accumulation to distribution. They get scared. People who don't have a pension want to know that there is at least some sort of guaranteed income there. And frankly, things happen later in life. Your spouse gets sick, your spouse dies. A robo-advisor is not going to hold your hand during that funeral. Your financial advisor probably will. So I think it's well-suited for people who have a high-touch practice, where it's a relationship practice. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because you you kind of you you know you're pointing out that even though we're talking about a niche, there's there are other forms, and the technical expertise is one thing, but there are other forms of. I don't know, skill sets or, or competencies that you need to do this effectively. And, you know, you're pointing out that that's many of those are relationship or more emotionally driven. Well, let me give you an example. And, uh, and again, I'm fortunate with my flexible work style that I can often combine business travel and pleasure. And I love talking to people. And I was on a ski trip a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and I worried because I signed up for a, a Washington, D.C. ski club. And I thought, oh, no, all these people are going to be 20 and 30. <laughs> well, no problem. It was like an AARP theater tour um, at 63. <laughs> I was probably one of the youngest people on, on the group and I could <laughs> barely keep up with them. They were great skiers. But, you know, we're having conversations. And the fact is, a lot of people are working past the traditional retirement age of 65, but they don't understand that the rules for Medicare are different. For example, most people do not realize that when you turn 65, you have a seven-month window to enroll in Medicare, penalty-free, 
three months before your 65th birthday, your 65th birthday month, and three months afterwards. If you miss that initial enrollment period and you enroll later, you are going to pay a 10% per year delayed enrollment penalty for the rest of your life. So let's say you enroll at 70, five years late, you're going to pay an extra 50% per month, every month for the rest of your life. Unless, here's a big unless, unless you continue to work or your spouse continues to work and you have health insurance through one of those existing employers. So here I am on a ski trip and this one couple saying, oh yeah, you know, Bill's going to retire at 70, but no problem. There's not going to be a delayed enrollment penalty because he's on Sylvia's health insurance. And I said, oh, that's great, Sylvia. Where do you work? Well, I retired 10 years ago. Well, now you have a problem because that's not existing employer health insurance. That's retiree health insurance. You're screwed. And I talked to them about get off her health insurance, re-enroll in your employer health insurance before you retire, and you're going to buy yourself a couple years penalty free and get access to Medicare. Now, who would know that? And why would you expect to learn that on a ski trip? <laughs> it's that kind of information. I probably save this guy an extra 100 bucks a month every month for the rest of his life. Hmm. Interesting. Advisors can really, if they can identify their market, gee, I work in a community where there's a lot of federal employees and they have different rules for Social Security and Medicare. I could specialize in this. I work in an area where there's a lot of retired chemists that are working on contract. The rules might be different. Let me talk to them about that. It's, it's finding that niche, as you said, identifying these uh, the likely community that you are most likely to serve. And then it spreads by word of mouth. People find out how much, and I can guarantee this man is going to tell all his friends of how I helped him save on Medicare. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Good point. Good point. Interesting. So are there other characteristics that would go into the right kind of advisor for this? You'd, you'd mentioned um, people who are willing to do the work and, and getting down into it and um, uh, people who are focusing on the, on the uh, decumulation phase. Are there other aspects of, a, uh, of an advisor's characteristics, personality, uh, technical capabilities that would make them a good candidate for this specialty? Well, I think being a good listener is critical because, again, when you're dealing on the accumulation side, you're basically asking people, you know, gee, how much money do you think you need to save? What's your risk profile? Are you comfortable in this market? What would you like to do with it? But it's it's moonshot stuff. Once you get to actual retirement, it comes down to, yeah, I'd like to take that Viking cruise once a year, or I would like to help you know, my grandchildren save for college, or I would like that second home in Florida or Arizona. They're really concrete um, wishes and wants. And a financial advisor on the focusing on the distribution side can, you know, really look at those numbers and how are we going to make that happen? And, and how comfortable are you? Um, do you want a certain amount of guaranteed income per month, regardless of what happens in the market? I think there is a real need for people who are willing to build in downside protection for their clients. And often when you have fee-only financial advisors, because of the way things like 
annuities are structured, a lot of fee-only advisors have shied away from those kind of products. And now they're finding that, gee, some of their retired clients really want that protection. So how do I create it for them and build it into my business model? Hmm. So for, for advisors who are, are looking to really enhance their expertise, so you've got resources, clearly, I mean, through through the media work that you do and, and whatnot. Uh, and we'll make sure we include some links in the show notes, by the way, to, to anything there. Are there other ways that you think uh, other sources of education that advisors should be looking to, to really add some meat to the claim that they're experts in this area? Well, um, certainly as a certified financial planner myself, we have continuing education credits that we have to fulfill each year. And you have a wide range of subject matters. I tend to specialize in things like retirement income distributions, um, long-term care planning, annuities, reverse mortgages, uh, healthcare costs and retirement, things that are really um, add to my expertise on the retirement side. I am starting to see um, extra designations like uh, the American College of Financial Services offers the RICP. Let me see if I can get this right. <laughs> Retirement Income Certified Professional, which is an excellent three-part online course where you can really specialize in these issues of healthcare costs, social security claiming strategies, taxation in retirement, all areas that were really not a core part of the CFP program. Um, certainly a lot of the uh, mutual fund companies, the the uh, record keepers, the vanguards, the morning stars, the fidelities, the nationwides have excellent white papers on these topics. In fact, I was uh, referring to a nationwide study that I wrote about in September of 2017 that was a survey of Americans 50 or older by the Nationwide Retirement Institute. It said nearly 80% of future retirees who work with a financial advisor said they would switch advisors to maximize their Social Security benefits hmm. compared to about a half of current retirees. So we do see this movement that it's being driven by the consumers, by the potential clients. They know there is a better way to maximize their retirement income. They're not sure how, but they want to find an advisor who can help them do it. Hmm. Now, um, you'd said that there are some of the um, some of the options on um, social security distributions are are changing, and and some of the um, some are being eliminated, that kind of thing. What, what, what do you see the future bringing in terms of the technical complexity of Social Security and, and Medicare? Well, probably the biggest question I get during the seminars, particularly for people who are younger than retirement age, is will it be there for me? I hear Social Security is going broke. And I do try to clarify that Social Security, the tax revenues from our FICA payroll taxes are earmarked specifically to pay Social Security benefits. In addition, over the last 30 years, when the boomers were still in the workforce before they retired, the FICA tax structure was changed so that more money was collected than necessary at the time to build up this surplus that we've called the Social Security trust funds. Since about 2010, 
the combination of the deep recession in the U.S. when many people lost their jobs and therefore were not paying FICA taxes and the beginning of the baby boomers first wave of retirement, there was enough money from FICA tax revenues on a daily basis to pay Social Security benefits to existing retirees. Plus, they started drawing down the trust funds to make good on all those benefits. Sometime around 2034, if Congress does nothing between now and then, the trust funds, the surplus money would run dry and there would only be enough tax revenue from ongoing FICA taxes to pay about 75% of promised benefits. No one will be satisfied with 75% of promised benefits. (laughs) But Congress also knows that Social Security is the most popular program in history, and more importantly, old people vote. And frankly, this is not rocket science. Basically, if you gradually raise the full retirement age, it's currently 66 for people born from 1943 to 1954. It will gradually increase to 67 for people born in 1960 or later. By the way, that does not kick in until 2027, more than 40 years after the legislation uh, enacted that. If we gradually increase that full retirement age to, say, 70, for today's two-year-olds who are going to live to 120, that solves a major part of the long-term financing problem. On the other end of the equation, if you gradually let the taxable wage base, which is currently $127,400 a year, we pay FICA taxes on that amount of wages. If you earn more than that, you are not paying FICA taxes to fund Social Security. That means there's about 17% of American wages not being taxed anymore. It used to be 10%. You let that float up, that solves the other part of the problem. As I said, these are not major mathematical problems. They're political problems. But I think once we get past the 2020 presidential election, I think you'll see some serious Social Security reform, whether it's part of overall retirement security reform or standalone or wrapping in Medicare. I can't tell. All of those critical legs of the traditional Um, three-legged stool of retirement security needs to be looked at Mm. again. So, you know, that's all. (laughs) You realize why you need expertise as you talk. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, Um, you you, uh, told a a quick story about the ski trip earlier, if I can go back there and and the the money that was saved. Now, to me, that's kind of an obvious... uh, a way to generate referrals through this expertise. You know, you save someone money, they tell their friends about mm-hmm. it. Are there other things that you've either seen or recommend that advisors do to intentionally leverage expertise in this area to drive referrals? Um, I'm not sure, again, because I'm giving the information to the advisors. Mm-hmm. What the advisors turn around to do with their clients, I might hear anecdotally, I might not. But what I do when I'm doing presentations around the country, part of my deal with the sponsoring group is, and if you have a question, email me. So I am constantly back in touch with either the financial advisors or the financial services sponsor with questions that they're getting from their clients. And that happened, that helps two ways. One, I'm answering their client's question, which gives them a high satisfaction 
and trustworthiness. And also my devil's bargain is I don't charge for this advice, but I do write about it. So I said, great question. I'm going to write about this in my blog. So the broader financial services community is aware of it. Your only choice is I'll quote you or I won't. So it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. People send me a question. I answer their question. They're happy. I've now written my blog for the next week and more (laughs) people read it and they say, oh, look, Mary Beth answered this advisor's question. Let me write to her with my question. Mm -hmm. So it continues and we all continue to learn. I will give you an example that when Congress changed the Social Security claiming rules at the end of 2015 and the first phases of it took effect six months later, which was was very quick by Washington standards. And the information being disseminated by the Social Security Administration was was very spotty, to say the least. I mean, wrong information going out right and left. And I knew that because my readers were writing to me saying, I just went to Social Security and they told me X, Y, Z. And I'd say, well, that's wrong. Or I just called Social Security and they told me this. No, that's wrong. Well, I wrote a column that said high level of misinformation going out from Social Security Administration. Four months later, the Government Accountability Office, the government watchdog, wrote a a white paper that said Social Security is giving bad advice. And my reaction was, yeah, if you read my column, you would have known that four months ago. (laughs) And it's all because of my readers, because I have developed a two-way communication street with them. They ask me questions, I answer them, but perhaps more importantly, they're telling me what they hear. They're my field research. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Interesting. So um, in, in terms of taking the idea of this and becoming an expert in this area uh, and using that as a way of differentiating yourself, what, what would you say is the, the one thing that advisors interested in that direction should put on their to-do lists today? There are excellent um, books and training programs. I think, you know, I can plug my own book. That's like the the uh, cliff notes of social security for advisors. But there's a very good one that I call the Bible of Social Security by Andy Landis called Social Security, The Inside Story. He just updated it this week for 2018, and that's available on Amazon. Highly recommend that. There are some great training programs. Um, Some of the software companies like Social Security Analyzer, Social Security Timing, they all have their own training programs to teach advisors about the strategies and how to use the software, because I may do this in my head, but most advisors are better off using software. And then there are some in-person training sessions from the NSSA, which is the National Social Security Association. So there's you know several different levels. You might want to start by reading a book, then you might want to take a training course, you want to take a deep dive, you might want to buy software. I would urge you if you're going to invest in software, ask for a free trial period. You can usually do that for 14 days or so to see what their um, support is because it can be confusing in the beginning. Sure. And um, we'll put all we'll put uh, links to all of those in the show notes. Um, You mentioned briefly your book. Tell us the title of it again and where people can find it. Uh, My book is called Maximizing Social Security Benefits. It's been updated for 2018, and it is available only through Investment News. If you go to investmentnews.com slash 
MBF ebook. That's my three initials followed by ebook. Perfect. Excellent. Good. And um, so, Mary Beth, thank you so much for, for sharing your time and expertise yeah, with us. Absolutely. If, if people want to find out more, obviously they can read and they should read your, um, your column in Investment News. Is there any other way that people can find you or get a hold of you if they want to bring you out to talk to their clients? Absolutely. They can always email me directly. It's my first two initials, last name, mbfranklin at investmentnews.com. That sounds great. Well, Mary Beth, thanks so much for for joining us this afternoon. Well, thank you for inviting me, uh, Steve and Julie. This was terrific. Appreciate it. Hey, folks, Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.